my privilege to call up Pastor Robin to share in the word this morning. Can I pray for you? Yes. Dear Lord, thank you for Robin. Thank you for her willingness to come and share the word. Your words, dear God, may they land in our hearts and our minds, but may they also land in our feet as we walk out what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, if you're joining us online. Grab my water here. Well, we've been doing um, a series in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, a first book of the New Testament. Uh, this morning, I'll be uh, quoting from the New International Version. And uh, so we've had a number of sermons so far, and of course, we dived into this right after Christmas. So <clears throat> just working from your memory, where, ha where does Matthew start? Just call it out. Where does Matthew start? If you know. What's the first part of Matthew? Genealogy. Genealogy. The, the, the lineage of Jesus. Thank you. And uh, uh, then there's a bunch of events, incredible events around his birth. Angel-filled, dream-filled, super dramatic, yet crazily understated birth of this long-awaited Savior. So the, the first couple of chapters are just astounding. And also they're, they're in Luke as well for you. To, to look at. And then the next thing that happens is along comes this fellow named John. And does anybody know what his message is? Look, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or has come near. Yeah. He offers baptism. Many, many people come out to see him in the desert. And upon confessing their sins, they're baptized. And he says to them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit, and then he's led far away. Where is he led to? The desert. He's led out into the desert where he is tempted by Satan. That is God's intention that he go there. He's led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. And then, um, last week, the Sinclair Peters were here, but the week before that, Pastor Rob uh, taught about Jesus walking amongst some people on the shore. And what happens there? He calls his first disciples. He calls Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, calls James and John, and you can go back and watch that sermon um, online if you want to do that. These are... Unlikely first followers, unimportant people, if there's any such thing, which of course there aren't, but not famous people, not well-known people, not greatly honored people, ordinary people. Then we are told 
that Jesus went about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And, and I want to just pause here and read this part because this is our setting for the beginning of Matthew 5. It's the end of chapter 4. Here's the setting. At verse 23 of chapter 4, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. That is our setting. Now, Matthew 5, verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to them and began to teach them. Now, sometimes it's been debated, who is he teaching? Is he just teaching the disciples? Is he teaching the whole crowd? What's going on? At the end of the so-called Sermon on the Mount, which ends at the end of chapter 7, it says that when he was finished, the crowds left. So there's an indication that he's talking to everybody who was gathered. Now, there's a, uh, an abbreviated and slightly different version of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke, the book of Luke. And so you might say, well, what is that about? Doesn't that just indicate that, you know, we don't really have the words that Jesus said? You know, these aren't, these aren't, they, aren't, they don't line up. Well, I guess it goes without saying that there was no YouTube there was nobody video, videoing this sermon. Jesus would have been going from place to place and doing similar things each place that he went. How else would people in different areas know what he said? So perhaps Luke is giving us, and he even describes that he's on a plane, a level place in Luke, whereas in Matthew we're told he sits up on a higher place. So it's a good indication that this is another uh, the Luke account is another um, uh, situation in which Jesus taught the same essential material. So, Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called, uh, sorry, yeah, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And finally, blessed are you when people insult you, 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want to just kind of pause here and um, think about Jesus' teaching style. He tends to use questions, taking advantage of the moment, situations, to explain the nature of his kingdom. Often that's in the form of parables, not, al not always. But he very much, you know, t seizes the moment that he's in. We call them teachable moments, right? Is that a slide up there now? Okay, that's okay. We call them teachable moments, right? When we are in the thick of things. One of our daughters is a preschool teacher, and she's all about <laughs> teachable moments. She's all about getting kids outside and trying to climb trees and trying to balance on logs and using those moments. After all, what learning moments for you have been the unforgettable ones? Well, what is the thick of things here that Jesus is in? He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom to who? He's surrounded by desperate, sick, and demon-possessed people who have literally just been touched by him. His called disciples are there too. So let's just think about that. So many thoughts and feelings. First, the people who have been touched. How might they feel in his presence? I want you to talk to your neighbor for a minute. Those of you who are like, wow, I really didn't want anybody to talk to me this morning. It's okay if you really don't want to talk, you can just listen. But I want you to turn to somebody near you and just talk for a minute the people who have been touched, how might they think and feel then in that setting? Go ahead. Okay, call out a few words. What do you think they're thinking or feeling? Just call out a few words. A little louder. Grateful. Surprised. Did somebody say surprised? What else? Pardon me? Amazement. Yes. Confused. Sure. Joy. Yes. Astounded. That's a word that I wrote down. Yeah. Right? Trembling, thrilled, grateful, maybe kind of terrified. Inadequate, relieved, unworthy, cared for, but maybe nervous around him, right? Love him, but scared of him. How is this possible? But this is real. 
Who is this man? Look at his power. What is going on? Now, what about the disciples who have a front row seat to all of this? Is there any reason to think that they would feel much different than these healed ones? Later on in the Gospels, when the disciples even have had more time with Jesus, we see these kind of accounts. Listen to this. This is from Mark 4. Jesus is asleep at the back of a boat, and there's a terrible storm, and the disciples are terrified. They're convinced that they're going to drown. Jesus, how can you be asleep? They think that they are dead men. And he calms everything. He's not rattled. And they say, who, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. In Luke 8, we see Jesus make an absolutely massive catch of fish. After the tradesman, Peter has been fishing all night and caught nothing. And what does Peter say? He falls to his knees and he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Essentially, why am I being called to go with him? How can I be with him? How can he want me with him? Back to the crowd and the healings at the end of chapter 4, our setting. Jesus must have looked at them as he worked among them. And what do you think Jesus is thinking and feeling? Harder to relate to that. What do you think Jesus is thinking and feeling? Any words you want to call out? Love. Compassion. Understanding. Not harassed, not impatient, not disgusted, not thinking, where is my PPE when I need it? Not, why did they have to get so close to me? Compassion, as you say, resolve confident and calm in the middle of overwhelming need. I know you feel unworthy. You are unworthy. But the reign of God has come to you in person. The kingdom of God is near, at hand, among you, available to you. And in this way, you are blessed. You are blessed when the kingdom of God is at hand and available to you. Listen to the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before this event. So, 2,700 years before now. At chapter 55 in Isaiah, <clears throat> Isaiah has been commanded to speak God's words, and these are the words. To everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Listen carefully to me and eat 
what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. That's Isaiah 55. And Jesus himself explains why he has come. You may remember an account. If you don't, that's okay. You can look it up later. Luke chapter 4, where Jesus arrives at the synagogue and he opens a scroll and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 61. And Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because why? Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what John the Baptist said. That is what Jesus is saying. It has now begun. It is now here for you. And one day will be fully established and fully complete. Let's get back to the thoughts and feelings of the crowd and the disciples. They feel awed, must. A sense of desperation. They came. I described to you, I read how sick they are how tormented they are. Surely very conscious that God was not blessing them because in that time, that was clearly a sign that you were not blessed. They were avoided sorts of people. Who do we avoid? But they came to Jesus because they heard things about him. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, 1 to 11, is essentially the kingdom is available to anyone and everyone who would like it. He is speaking and telling what he has just demonstrated among the people. Show and tell. Remember that? Now, I'm going to borrow here unashamedly from Dallas Willard, who's an eminent theologian of our time, recently passed on. And uh, I recommend this book to you, which is very helpful for me, Divine Conspiracy, which is in our library, and uh, which you can order. You could order it on Kindle. You could get a Kindle cloud reader for free, download it, and you can add a Kindle for $12. And uh, he develops a bunch of ideas, but in chapter 4, um, he develops this understanding of what's going on here at the beginning of Matthew 5. And um, this is a very famous passage. You have probably heard it before. You've probably, you may have read it many times. Dallas Willard says, and I didn't start my preparation thinking that this is where I was going to land, and I read in a few different commentaries and books, and then I came across Dallard Willard and I, Dallas Willard, and I went, whoa, whoa. Made me think newly. He thinks that we are mistaken to read this part of the Sermon on the Mount as a description of how a disciple ought to live. And that is probably what you have typically thought, and usually how this passage is described, a description of how the disciple ought to live. The Beatitudes, you may have memorized them that way, 
at some point. You may have been taught them, like a little bee flying along, you know, with happy face, the bee attitudes. Well, the word beatitude doesn't come from the idea of a honeybee. It comes from the Latin word beautus. might not be pronounced that way in Latin, but it means simply blessed. That's where we get that word from, beatitudes. Now, how to live, how to live in the kingdom is coming in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. But Dallas Willard says that's not happening yet. We're not quite there yet. We're still in the middle of the teachable moment of those who have come to Jesus hungry and needy. You may not appreciate this interpretation, but I invite you to explore it with me. Because this passage, in the traditional way it's been understood, raises a lot of questions. Why? What am I talking about? Well, for example, if we read, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, where does that verse possibly get us? Is it telling us, if we read it that way, that if we show mercy, then we will receive mercy? But that's works. That's like if I do the right thing, then I'll get mercy from God. And we cannot earn God's mercy. The rest of his word is very clear on that. So how can that be? That takes us to legalism. Or let's say that we take blessed are the poor in spirit, and we take that to mean that what we just need to do is know how needy we are and admit it, and then we get the kingdom. And I have usually read that verse that way. But as Willard points out, Jesus is quite capable of saying here, blessed are those who know their need and then admit it, and they will receive the kingdom of God. But he doesn't say that just says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or, in the traditional view of this passage, take verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, I am not pure in heart. You are not pure in heart. The crowds are not pure in heart. In the setting, those listening are not pure in heart. It's true that they can be made pure by God, but again, the text doesn't say, blessed are those who have made, been made pure in heart by Jesus' sacrifice, which hasn't happened yet. So, it's cryptic. Cryptic means kind of hard to see clearly. Well, says Willard, what if Jesus meant something else here, rather than a description of how to then live? What if he meant, keeping in mind the present moment, People have come to him needy. He's touching them, touching them, touching them. He has their full attention. What if instead, what if he really means in these verses at the beginning of Matthew 5 that you here with me now, just touched by me, are welcome to my kingdom? Just walk in. Walk in. If you want to come into my kingdom, you can. That also means if you don't want to, you don't have to. 
If you want to come into my kingdom, you can. You, as you are, do not need to have any spiritual capital. You, up here in the boonies of Galilee, Prince George, you, outcasts and suspects, you are welcome at my table. And so Willard suggests that we read this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. You who are spiritually bankrupt, you can be in God's kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You who are heartbroken. You don't have to raise your hand, but I bet there's people here who are heartbroken. Full of grief. Maybe remorse. Relationships causing a lot of pain. Disappointment. And what does Jesus promise? They will be comforted. That's how my kingdom works. I offer genuine comfort. I provide. That's the better word. Provide. Provision. Genuine comfort. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Willard says, meek, weak-willed, people who are unassertive, people who always seem to miss the moment and lose out, who get taken advantage of by those more forceful, more courageous than them. Maybe they miss opportunities. Maybe they're financially in difficult conditions because they're too they're meek and they kick themselves for it. Maybe they don't lead people around them that they ought to lead because they're, they're meek and they're timid and they're afraid. And they don't know what to think at the right time. But Jesus says, you, you who struggle there, you will inherit the whole earth. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You who desperately want the world to be a good place. You are sick of reading the news. <laughs> you can't make it so, though, and you desperately want to be good yourself, but you're not always, right? Your longing for justice and righteousness will be satisfied. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You who maybe are a little, maybe some people say you're a little too nice. You give things away a lot. You, you know, you, you will let the other person take the first turn, and then you look around and you find yourself kind of losing out, and you struggle with that. How come nobody notices all my giving? Well, Jesus notices, but he wants to give you his mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, Dallard reads this as those of us who have a passion for purity, for things being just right, for perfect behavior, 
And what does that bring? Self-recrimination? Busy correcting and fixing others? Anybody relate to that? Busy correcting and fixing others? My kids have said to me more than once, thankfully, Mom, <laughs> can stop trying to fix that. I don't need criticism. When I read this, blessed are you who are pure, blessed are you who are pure in heart, for you will see God who is pure and perfect. I felt relieved. I laid down in bed on like Tuesday night this week and I had a huge smile on my face when my head fell. Sorry, I'm cutting out a little bit here to go like that. And uh, I, I just felt such, I felt so loved. I belong. I'm welcome in the kingdom. Me, a recovering perfectionist, am welcome in the kingdom. And what will we receive? Seeing the beautiful and perfect God. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, a lot of you live in the middle of conflicts. Some of you have jobs that put you in the middle of conflicts all the time. If you're a police officer, if you're a mediator, if you're a social worker, if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, if you have friends who tend to a lot of drama around you, maybe you often find yourself trying to broker peace. I'm, a, I'm sure you feel pretty stressed at times, heavy laden, not fully trusted because you're not picking sides. Maybe disliked. You will be called children of God. You will be loved children in God's family. What does it mean to be a child in God's family? It means you have a father. You who are in the middle of conflict, trying to broker peace, you have a father who wants to give you advice, who wants to give you wisdom, who understands how you feel, who wants to be your dad, your holy father. Verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You who get mocked or are unpopular because you're just a bit too honest, a bit too diligent. Maybe people in the workplace, they feel a little uneasy around you. You're just a little bit too, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's and wanting to be really ethical all the time and it's just a little too, a little too good. And maybe because of that, sometimes you're not liked. Sometimes you don't get ahead, even though you think I'm doing everything right. Why don't I get ahead? Blessed are those who are persecuted, made fun of perhaps, because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven does not work like our world's kingdoms. Jesus, perhaps, is saying here, the kingdom is available to you with all its provisions. With all its provisions. The kingdom, me, Jesus, is the one who, wel not me, is the one who welcomes everyone, real, bankrupt, 
damaged people with all their problems and all their disorders and fixations and weirdnesses and griefs and inadequacies and unloveliness and resentments and selfishness and rebellion and envy. The kingdom is available to you. And then at verse 11, the kingdom is yours in the middle of when people reject you and mock you and say rotten things about you because you accept my invitation and follow me, which they will do. This is the upside-down kingdom of God. And one of the reasons that Dallas Willard is compelled that this is the best understanding of what's going on, very different from perhaps what you're accustomed to at the beginning of Matthew, is because this is a theme through Jesus' teaching. An inverted kingdom, an upside-down kingdom. He sh the last will be first. The first will be last. The nobodies are treasured. The high and lofty are brought low. That is why in Luke's account of the sermon, blessings and woes go together. Because the kingdom of God does not work the way the kingdoms of the world work. And you know that the kingdom of the world is not working. Now, wait a minute, you might say. But what, what about the gospel of confessing your sins to receive God's salvation in Jesus? Invite him into your heart. If we don't read that into verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit who know their need. It doesn't say who know their need. But if we don't read that in, how do people know how to enter the kingdom? Don't people need to know that? Well, Jesus is living out with them right here in real time, then I should say, what the kingdom is and how to enter it. They are already conscious of his amazing work and them in others because they just saw his lordship over disease and evil spirits. I am not saying that they all understand and we know that some reject him eventually. They don't understand everything. He's inviting them to enter now, though, the good and wonderful life. It starts then. It starts then. For us, it starts already started. A life which will be eternal life of undeserved, magnificent, provision-filled blessing from our beautiful and good God. Well, how about how we go on to live? How are we supposed to then live? Well, stay tuned, because we're going to continue on in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 in the next few weeks. And Jesus is going to talk there about the goodness of his law and what it really means from inside the heart. What is living it out as his followers really look like? So, as I've said, this passage here for us in 2024... It means that you cannot be too damaged or dirty or unworthy or messed up or rotten or wicked or degraded or sin the same thing, sin the same way too many times to be welcome in Jesus' kingdom. You just cannot. You just cannot. He knows. He wants you. He wants me. He has compassion and hope and blessing in mind for you. If you are already a servant of Jesus, if you have joined the kingdom of God, do not forget how you got to be in the kingdom. 
Do not forget that every day you need to continue to be changed by God. In chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has, it's recorded that Isaiah had this vision from God. And when he had this vision of what God looked like with all these angels worshiping, and he said, woe, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. Don't forget how you got to be where you are in God's kingdom. You did not earn it. You walked in. You just walked in. You said yes. Yes to King Jesus, King of the kingdom. You were welcomed and washed and fed because he is compassionate and merciful. And church people, and we hurt people, church people do, must be very careful that we do not act or suggest that there was any other way that we got into the kingdom or that we live, continue to live in the kingdom. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you together, you, the King. For those who maybe for the very first time are hearing or becoming convinced perhaps that they really are welcome to join you and follow you in your kingdom, I pray that you would give them courage to say yes. I pray that you would give us all open eyes and tender hearts this week in the way that you wish to show uh, your love through us to others. And just show your love to us. Your kingdom is not like our kingdom, Lord. You invite everyone, everyone. And this is good news, and we praise you and thank you for your good news. Amen.